Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Hey all, we have a slightly different episode today. The podcast Microbagals reached out to several communicators, including us, to record our thoughts on a few different questions. The following is the recording we sent them. In the future, the Microbagals will be combining our answers with others in what should be a really great episode. Be on the lookout for it in their podcast. Hello, this is Andrew, Lee, and Nabil from the Microbinfi podcast, and we're going to tell you about our microbe moment. Okay, so lads, what is your favorite microbe? That's a hard one. There's so many to pick from. Does it have to be a pathogen? I'm going to say no, and I'm going to go with Thermus aquaticus as my favorite microbe. That is an extremophile that produces tech, and we use that in PCR almost all the time. And without PCR, I don't have a job. <laughs> so thanks, Thermus aquaticus. <laughs> and, and is it, what's an extremophile? Like, is that some kind of racist? <laughs> no, it's not like a, yeah, it's not a political extremist or anything like that. It's a, it's a microbe that lives in an extreme environment. So Thermus aquaticus lives in, in hydrothermal vents, kind of places we wouldn't go. Cool. As you can tell, I'm not a microbiologist. I'm just a, a lowly computer scientist who's uh, fallen into this this field. But Lee, maybe you know a bit more. So what's your favorite microbe? I like to go with Neisseria. Gonorrhea? <laughs> a- any of the Neisseria, actually. So it's a whole genus of microbes, of bacteria. I like that they can just like soak up DNA from other Neisseria like, whenever they feel like it. <laughs> It's kind of interesting and they recombine like all the time and they're just kind of a fun study. And maybe I'm just a little bit biased. That's just where I started off in public health. I think everyone remembers their first microbe. Yeah, I did a bit of E. coli blasting. That was kind of my first introduction to it. I didn't even know what E. coli was back then, you know? Wow. Well, Andrew, have you ever had like someone say like, blah, 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 this bacteria. And you're like, whoa, I'd have no, I had no idea that it even existed. All the time, people come up to me and say, oh, yeah, did you hear about this? You know, it's like in the top three pathogens, you know, on food. And it's like, really? I've never even heard of it. I don't even know how to pronounce it. You know, it's it's a bit crazy. But, you know, there's so many of them out there. Like, you only hear about the deadly ones, you know, that really cause uh, high mortality. But you don't hear about the ones that cause, you know, a, a dicky tummy or, or things like that. Those are, are less important. I think some microbes have slightly better marketing uh, budgets than others, really. <laughs> like Shigella? I, I'd hate yeah, to Shigella. <laughs> Don't get in Shigella's way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just E. coli, isn't it? You know, with a bit of a plasmid. <laughs> is, is it even worthy of a, a name on its own? Not really. I mean, it's just, it's more or less there for, because, well, we'd have to change all of the, the monograms. It's just not worth it. 
Taxonomy, yeah, the oldest argument in history. If it ain't broke, why fix it? Okay, so what's the coolest fact you know about microbes, Lee? One of the coolest things about listeria is that people are starting to use its tendency to infect people intracellularly. And so over the last 10 or so years, kind of under the radar almost, some pharma companies are sticking cancer genes on them, like a mesothelioma cancer gene, let it infect and then present the mesothelioma gene and actually have a sort of vaccine against cancer. So that's one of my favorite things about microbes right now. Wow, that's kind of cool. I think for me, one of the favorite things about microbes is they make all of my favorite foods. I couldn't have any of them without microbes. We, we all know the obvious ones like, yeah, you need yeast for bread, you need it for beer and you need, you need lactobacillus for yogurt and all of that. But did you know you needed microbes to make chocolate? What? Yeah, chocolate is a is a partially fermented product. So yeah, if you if you didn't have like a, a bit of yeast and a bit a couple of bacterial species in there to to help chug chug the cocoa along, couldn't have chocolate. Oh man. Well, what I like is FMT, so fecal microbiome transplants, and you give someone a bit of poo, and you know if they've got C diff or whatever, in most cases they're cured within a few hours. Uh, you know after probably having spent months and months and months taking antibiotics. And for the most part, we don't really know why uh, it works. We don't know which microbes are helping or not. And it's a big mystery, but we do know that it's a load of microbes, a load of different species are actually helping out and fixing people very quickly. So we all need a bit of poo in our lives. Okay, what do, do you people think? Is... Do people take a pill on that or? <laughs> uh, days... do that. It's hard. P- people, generally the way it goes in is down a, ch- a tube going down or a tube going up. And uh, it usually involves a blender and uh, a, a brown soup. Oh, yeah. That's rough. Yeah. And usually the best donor is actually someone in your own household. Interesting. Yeah. You discussed that with your wife. <laughs> One time I did donate my stool and it was... It was not an experience I would do again, probably, but for research internally. And I, and I hope to, to hear more about that sequence one day or, or analyze it myself if I sneak into the files, if they, they probably don't have those open anymore. Sad. Well, do you remember Aaron Darling was uh, sequencing every nappy from his, uh, his kid for the first few months of life? Yeah, the, nap, the diaper ohm. Yeah, got published something. Published well, where did it get published? It was just uh, it was just his own little thing. I think he used PGM as well. That's back in the day. Incredible. I didn't know. Okay, so uh, Nabil, how did you get into microbiology, and why do you stay? I wanted to do work with genomics, and I wanted to do bioinformatics. And my doctoral advisor told me that well, bacterial genomes are really small. So they should be easier. And I was like, yeah, makes sense to me. So there we are. (laughs) Rational choice. And Lee, what about you? I was was getting into a new field of bioinformatics and I didn't know what I was doing. And then um, somebody from CDC cold called my lab, (laughs) 
Pull this. And just uh, said, hey, you want to work on Gono? And you're like, yeah, okay. Almost, almost. Uh, he said, uh, we sequenced four genomes, some of the four, first genome sequenced at CDC on the 454, and they're Neisseria meningitidis. And your lab has bioinformaticians. Can you analyze this for us? And uh, I was the next PhD student. That's how I got into it. And I, and I stayed because it's so incredibly interesting. Uh, and it, and we have a, a nice impact. Well, how about you, I'm, Andrew? I'm a computer scientist, so I accidentally fell into this area and couldn't escape. <laughs> Why do I stay? Well, now that I've specialized in an area, I can't escape. They, no, you can't. Me yeah, so I was uh, doing limbs development in the Sanger Institute, and then I went into a pathogen genomics team, but doing more infrastructure work, you know, like backend database, that kind of thing. And then over time, I discovered that, you know, at lunch, we would be having all these conversations about like STIs and, and these horrible foodborne pathogens. And uh, it was a pretty normal day, you know, to discuss these kind of things. And then I realized, hang on a sec. I've changed fields without realizing it. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and I've never looked back. Okay, so what do you think is the biggest misconception about microbiology and what would you like to tell people who think this misconception is true? Lee, do you wear a white lab coat? Ah, that's a good one. No, I have pictures out there wearing a white, with me wearing a white lab coat for fun, but... Uh, we do not wear white lab coats as bioinformaticians. Have you ever been photographed in a pristine white lab coat propelling uh, water or buffer for a photo shoot? Yes. Yes, I have. So have I. But I would. But I. But I was. I was an undergrad actually pipetting things. I was actually doing that stuff. But wait a minute. You. Someone did that with you. You are a computer scientist. I, I was photographed. I think I was wearing a green lab coat, actually, which meant I was a danger to everyone else in the lab. And um, so I was pipetting buffer into a used nanopore flow cell just to prove that, you know, I could do the nanopore stuff. I got photographed pipetting for a mini prep. I was doing an actual mini prep for an Iceri meningitis one time. I was doing it. But I don't know. Like, what did they use your photo shoot for? This is still still like you're, you're a computer scientist. <laughs> It, it's to prove, you know, that we we know our stuff, you know, and okay. nice photos for presentations. Interesting. I want to see if Nabil ever had that, too. Nope, never. I don't have any of those sort of photos. Hmm. Well, I do have a white lab coat. I think Nabil probably has one as well. I don't think I ordered a new one when we moved to the new building. Uh, what you do is you walk in and you take anyone in your size. <laughs> Uh, okay. Put it on enough. your hanger. I've got this a hanger going into the lab. I've made it. <laughs> yeah, it's about time for you to get your picture, Nabil. Yeah, yeah. That's a good misconception. Yeah, I don't think the lab coats we use generally are white. They're usually blue. <laughs> uh, well, they're graffitied often and they've been washed many times. Yeah, if they're white, they're definitely like this off, you know, gray. <laughs> Yeah, the pristine white ones are for uh, PR purposes. You know, they have a beautiful logo on the side and they've, they've been worn once and then they're put back, never used for real lab work. We use those for like when TV crews come in. Okay, here's another one. 
have you guys ever analyzed a double helix of DNA rotating on your computer screen? I wish I had that graphic. Like I the don't. Matrix. Just like... Or, or like in the Matrix. The, the crazy thing is sometimes, you know, you look at DNA sequences and you will know just from looking at the sequence or from uh, like a GFF file uh, scrolling by, oh yeah, that's what it is, yeah. After a while, you get to know all these things. Agree with that. I think thumbing to uh, BAM files, you get a bit of that. Like M pileup, you just kind of watch the the, the, <laughs> the pileup like, move over the screen. You're like, mm, yes, yes. Oh, that's contaminated. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and like us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you don't like the podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.